بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد عبده ورسوله اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم محمد رسول الله والذين معه اشداء على الكفار الرحماء بينهم تراهم نكعا سجدا يبتغون فضلا من الله ورضوانا سيماهم في وجوههم من اثر السجود ذلك مثلهم في التوراه ومثلهم في الانجيل كزرع اخرج شطبه فازره فاستغرض فاستوى على سوقه يعجب الزراع ليغيظ بهم الكفار وعد الله الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات منهم مغفره واجرا عظيما وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ثلاث منجيات وثلاث مهلكات فاما المنجيات فتقوى الله عز وجل في السر والعلانيه والقول بالحق في الرضا والسخط والقص في الغنى والفقر واما المهلكات فهب المرتبع وشرح المطاع واعجاب المن بنفسه وهي اشدهن او كما قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صدق الله العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك من الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد. اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد. جزا الله عنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو اهله، اللهم اتيه الوسيله والفضيله وابعثه مقاما محمودا الذي وعدته، وانزه عنا افضل ما جازيت نبيا عن قومه ورسولا عن امته، وصل على جميع اخوانه من النبيين والصالحين يا ارحم الراحمين. وبعد Today, inshallah, we'll be discussing this hadith of the Prophet in which he mentions that there are three things which are protectors, which save a person from the eternal hellfire. And there are three things which destroys a person, meaning that it takes this person away from entering into Jannah and puts him in the eternal life of, of punishment. So, Rasulullah in this hadith, he says, there are three things which are protectors, which saves a person. And there are three things and there are three things that destroys a person. So, inshallah, I'll be talking about one aspect of it, and then our second session, inshallah, Imam Atif will be talking about the second aspect of it. Um, inshallah, I'll be discussing the munjiyat, the three things that saves a person. Rasulullah said, Number one, aspect or action that prevents a person from entering into hellfire and protects the person from hellfire is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether you're in seclusion or whether you're in the open and whether you are in front of other people whether you are hidden or, or somewhere in seclusion where nobody can see you normally we have two aspects of our life one is what people see and one is behind closed doors you know the scholars they say if you want to know about a person don't look at his external life don't look at the life outside of his house ask his family how he is inside the house that's when you will know how that person is if people were to ask our families how we are inside the house what would be the response are we treating them or are we with them just like we are when we're on the outside? So Rasulullah he mentions that, that the first aspect is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we talk about taqwa, 
Allah, this topic is actually mentioned over 200 times in the Quran. The, the topic of taqwa, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in multiple places in the Quran, He says, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu taqullah. Ya haqqatu baati, Ya ayyuhaladheena amanu taqullah. You know, so many places with different uh, references, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about his taqwa. What is taqwa? But before I get to what is taqwa, let's look at what people think, think of taqwa. If, we, if I were to ask you, looking at other religions, who do you consider to be a person of piety? Can we ask the sisters not to be in the balcony if they can go towards the back room, please? When we talk about the aspects of other religions, so the picture that comes to our minds when we think about other religions is monasticism, monkhood, which we call, right? When you, when you think of a monk, you think of piety connected to their religion. If you were to pick up a dictionary and look at what the definition is of a monk. A monk. Who is considered to be a monk? So, if you, in the dictionary it says, a member of a religious community, typically of men. Generally it's men, they're women, but not as many. So, a member of a religious community, typically consistent of men, living under the vow of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So they mention three aspects. They talk about that they want to be poor. They say they think that the worldly possessions takes you away from God, so you should not have any worldly possession. Number two, chastity. They believe that you cannot marry. That's why we know that normally they don't marry. So they believe that marrying takes you away from worshiping God or serving God, so that's why you cannot marry. And number three, obedience. That you have to be obedient to God. Now take these three aspects and let's apply in Islam. The first is poverty. Does Islam expect us to live in poverty? No. Islam does not stop us from having wealth. And when we look at some of the Sahaba, you know, Rasulullah himself, he chose the life of poverty. That was by choice to show us and leave an example for us. But in the time of Rasulullah, there's Sahaba who had so much wealth we cannot imagine. You know, there's a hadith uh, narrated by Abdurrahman ibn he says, I was there when the Prophet was encouraging the Sahaba. That Rasulullah was encouraging the Sahaba to give. He said, Uthman Allah Ta'ala, he stood up, he said, Ya Rasulullah, mi'atu ba'irin bi'ahlasiha wa aqtabiha fi sabi'illah. Ya Rasulullah, I give hundred camels laden with all the necessities for the amnis for the sake of Allah. Hundred camels, can you imagine? This is like nowadays, translating it, it's like saying, I give hundred, you know, cargo bags or hundred pickup trucks filled with whatever you need. It is beyond our comprehension. Rasulullah makes dua for you, he sits down. But this is not enough. It's hot. The journey.
30 years long, they're facing a, 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 a very harsh enemy. Rasulullah again encourages Sayyidina Uthman when he gets up. He said, Ya Rasulullah, Mi'ata Ba'irin. Ya Rasulullah, Mi'ata Ba'irin. Bi'ahlafiha waqtabiya fi zabila. Ya Rasulullah, instead of 100, make it 200. Again, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam encourages the Sahaba. Again, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala who gets up. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, thalathu mi'ati ba'irin bi'ahlasiha wa aqtabiha fi sabi'ilna. Ya Rasulullah, 300 cabins. We cannot imagine that well. In another narration, in this, in this narration, he says that, he says that, I saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after this, that he came down from the river, he said, ma'ala What do the scholars say about this? What do the, the ayyimah say about this? 
understand our religion. And this was the practice of Sahaba radiallahu MashaAllah, they knew, you know, they knew Quran better than us. And they knew the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu They lived with the Prophet Sallallahu Yet still, every time something happened, they approached Rasulullah Sallallahu Ya Rasulullah, this happened. Oh Ya Rasulullah, I want to do this. How should I do so when, when Aisha uh, mentioned this to Rasulullah he asked someone to bring those three men. When they came, he asked them, are you the ones who said this, this, this? They said, yes, Ya Rasulullah, but we only intended good. We wanted to better ourselves. Rasulullah what did he say? What did Rasulullah He did not say, yes, you're doing a good job. Yes, you want to dedicate yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so go ahead. What did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He said, Inni akhsha'un billahi wa atfa'u lahu. That I have more fear of Allah and more taqwa of Allah than you do. Walakinni asumu wa uftah. Walakinni asumu wa uftah. Walakinni aqulu wa arkud. He said, but look at me, what do I do? Sometimes I fast, sometimes I don't fast. Sometimes, some portion of the night, I worship Allah, some portion of the night, I sleep. And I get married. A person who strays away from my sunnah is not from among Our deen teaches us that the responsibility that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed on us, you know, there's a beautiful hadith, Rasulullah said, a person who mixes with people and he has patience on the difficulty that he goes through because of mixing with people is better than that person who lives in seclusion so he doesn't have to deal with people. This is our deen. Our deen tells us to be social. There is a life outside, there is a life inside. You have your spouse, you have your parents, you have your children. You have your, uh, you know, uh, relatives, neighbors, you know, co-workers, employees, employers, so on and so forth. All these are part of our deal. And we need to understand the relationships that come with it. Anyway, Rasulullah sallallahu when, when, that, that means, you know, some of the Sahaba, they came, they say, Ya Rasulullah, can we not marry every in our life? He said, no. He never gave them permission. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that these months, that, 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 that the religious uh, uh, assumption that they have, that this is what will bring you closer to Allah, they, they had it wrong. Our deen teaches us to be the way we are, but just do everything in the right manner. So again, we covered uh, poverty, chastity, and the last one is obedience. This is where our taqwa is. Our taqwa is obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he could not see anything in regards to disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He could not, and Sahaba radiallahu anhu would know, when they would look at his face, his face would turn red. Once there was a woman of uh, Mahsumiyya clan, she stole something. And she was a prominent woman, woman in the community. So normally you know how we treat some people different from others. So because she was uh, from a prominent family and she was well known in the community, some of the Sahaba, they came to Rasulullah and they said, Ya Rasulullah, she made a mistake, can you forgive her? They said, Rasulullah
receive from a friend when the you know, when it, uh, the juice falls out. So red, he said, that's how the space turns. Are you interceding when it comes to the hudud of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He said, Law anna Fatimata binta Muhammadin sarafa laqata'atu yadaha Even if my own daughter Fatima were to steal, I would cut her hand. There is no place for disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to our deen. You know, Umar radiallahu ta'ala, the, the, the definition of taqwa, what is taqwa? Uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala asked Ibn Ka'b radiallahu ta'ala and he said, what is taqwa? What is the definition of taqwa? He said, Have you ever walked on a thorny path? A path which has a lot of thorns. He said, yes. He said, what did you do? He said, when I walked, I put, I pulled up my clothes to make sure they, don't, they do not get snagged in the bushes. And I walked and I was careful about each step to make sure that I did not step, step on any thorns. He said, this is exactly the taqwa of Allah, that you live your life in a manner that every step that you take in life, you make sure that it is according to the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the definition of taqwa. And we will wrap up this point with the benefits of taqwa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Ta'awun. He says, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ مَخْرِجًا a person who has the taqwa of Allah, Allah will find a way out for him. Makhraj, uh, an exit. You know, when we sometimes you worry in the mind, we don't know what's going to happen, what, what's the way out. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran is guaranteeing that if you have the taqwa of Allah, Allah will find a way out for you. And not only that, and he will give you provisions from a way that you never even thought possible. You know, um, there's a, a, an incident mentioned. Hatim Asam, he was a, a pious person, and he came in his heart that I want to go for Hajj. But of course, when does Hajj become uh, fall on you? When you have the means of the travel and uh, you know, all the expenses for going and coming back and the expenses for the family when you leave them behind. So, of course, he did not have that. So he was always in grief. He was always thinking about, you know, I want to go, but I cannot go. So amongst his daughters, his youngest daughter came to him and she asked, Father, why are you in so much grief? Why are you in so much sadness? So he said, I feel like going for Hajj, but I don't have the means to go. And there's nothing to leave behind. So she said, Allah will take care of us. Allah will take care of us. Don't worry about us, you just go. So he said, no, I don't know what everyone else will say. So she went and she spoke to the family. So everyone agreed that he can go. And Allah will provide for him. So they said that there was food for about three days that was left in the house. And then he left. While he was traveling, remember he has nothing for the road. The caravan that he had joined for Hajj, the leader of that caravan was bit by a scorpion. A scorpion bit the leader of that caravan. So he asked, does anybody know any dua, anything to take care of this? And we know Rasulullah mentioned about Surah Al-Fatiha and so on, about being a cure for everything. So, 
But they said there's the pious person here, his name is Hatim. Uh, so he came and he recited something, and by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he cured that person. So he said, you cured me from this. I'm taking your responsibility for all your expenses for going and coming back until you come back home. It's my responsibility for all of your expenses. Hatim al-Sumi started crying and he said, Ya Allah, you found a way out for me. Find a way out for my family. It comes that the king of that time was traveling and he became thirsty. They ran out of water, so he became thirsty. So he said, go ask, get some water from somewhere. So they, went, they came and they knocked on the door of Hatim and they gave him water. You know, Allah works in mysterious ways. Allah is saying, you cannot imagine. If you pick up the books of history and you read this incident, they say that the water was so sweet for that king that he was amazed. You know, we drink water, mashallah, so many times a day. Do we ever see the difference or do we say that, wow, this water is amazing? Unless you buy a $5 you know, small bottle, that's a different story. You might say, oh, wow, spring water, right? I think it's just the name anyway, right? But anyways, so he said the water was so sweet. He said, where did you get this from? He said, we got it from the, the, the house of Hatim al-Asam. So he said, call him. So they said, no, he's gone for Hajj, he's not at home. So he said, if he's not there, and he brought the, the water from his house, he took out some jewelry that was where, you know, King they used to have a lot of jewelry. They said there are a lot of rubies and emeralds in, uh, embedded in that, uh, that piece of jewelry that he was wearing. And he said, this is for the house of Hatim. And any person who has any respect for me would do the same. They said that every person, because you want to get the, uh, the, 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 the affection of the king, right? So every person that was there in that caravan with the king, traveling with the king, everybody took out their valuables and they gave it to the house of Hatim al-Asam, his family. They said one of the merchants, he bought all of it and gave them gold in return. And that gold was enough that they would never have to work a single day in their lives. You have the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will provide for you from where you cannot even imagine. So number one thing that will save us on the day of judgment is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, al-qawlu bil-haqti Saying haq, saying the truth. Whether you are happy or you're angry. Normally, you know, when things are going our way, we know that oh, there's no uh, uh, flashback. We don't mind telling the truth. When we're angry, when we know that the, the argument is not going our way, we start, you know, bending the truth, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He did not use the word sir. There's another word that's, that's used in the Arabic language, sir. Right? Uh, Rasulullah sallallahu he was known as what? As-Sadiq, al-Ameen, right? As-Sadiq, the truthful. But Rasulullah sallallahu in this hadith, he did not say that a person who says sir, he says, al-qawlu bil-haq, saying the haq. So again, there's a lot of, when you go in depth, what is the, the difference between sir and haq? Uh, again, haq is more general in terms of it includes everything, whether it's factual or not. 
So whether it's a fact or not, it, uh, uh, it can be helped, but the sin only applies to something that is factual. So I can say, this happened or it didn't happen, right? So I said, I went yesterday to, to the masjid, or I didn't go to the masjid. This is a fact. But how is more deeper than that, that it has to be done in a perfect manner where it leaves no doubt that there is anything other than what it is. You know, a lot of times when you say, um, for example, somebody is reciting Juz 29, right? He's supposed to recite the entire Juz, or he's supposed to recite half of the Juz. You say, did you read the, the Juz 29? He said, yes, I read Juz 29. So when you say you read the Juz 29, you're supposed to read the entire Juz, you read only part of it, but you're saying, I spoke the truth, I did read 29, but you know that the hub would be that you say, I only read a quarter, I did not read all of it, or I did not read half of it what I was supposed to. So you're not lying. You're not lying, but at the same time, this is not hub. Hub is that you mention truth in its entirety without any chance of any other message or any other meaning. In terms of Hab and Shad, they're used intermittently in, in, in the Arabic language. You can use one for the other. When we look at Shad, the scholars, they say that Shad, it comes in relation to, the, to, to, in, uh, of, to three types. Number one, the truthfulness towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can we be true to Allah? That whatever we do, we do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't do it because somebody is watching me. We don't do it because if I don't do it, something will happen. We do it only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is sit towards Allah. Number two, sit towards people. And in that, there's two uh, different categories. We can say being truthful when it comes to your words. Lying, cheating, uh, all of this will be considered that you're not truthful towards others when it comes through your words. And number two type of uh, being truthful to people is sit in terms of actions. In terms of you steal something. You're not truthful in your action towards others. Okay, so these are the two. And the last one they say is sit towards your own self. Sit when it comes to your own self. What does that mean? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there is a beautiful hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He said, leave something which is doubtful for that which is not doubtful. Because Truthfulness will bring you contentment, whereas lying will bring doubt in your heart and in your mind. Once the Sahabi asked Rasulullah, how do we know that if something is lying or not? He said, if it if you have that feeling in your heart that you're doing something wrong, then know that it's a sin. That you're doing something. You don't need, you know, a lot of times we look for ways, right? We say hadith doesn't, doesn't specifically mention this to be haram. Or Quran doesn't mention it to be haram. But Rasulullah said, you know yourself. If your heart is telling you that this is haram, then that means that's wrong. Don't do it. There's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, That truthfulness always leads towards good. When you tell the truth, it will lead to something.
he repented. When he repented, all the other 60 people also repented. It comes in the books of history that this was the first group that repented on the hands of Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, when he was only a young man. The power of telling the truth. So, first, the taqwa of Allah, which will save us. Number two is the telling of the truth, whether we, we are uh, angry, whether we are happy. And the last, of course, but not least, is Rasulullah said, be mindful of spending, whether you have a lot of wealth or whether you're in poverty, whether you're wealthy or you're poor, you spend in moderation. Moderation in spending. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He says, وَلَا تَجْعَلْ يَدَكَ مَغْلُولَةً إِلَىٰ He said, don't tie your hands to your neck. To spend, what do you have to do? You have to stretch. Allah says, وَلَا تَجْعَلْ يَدَكَ مَغْلُولَةً إِلَىٰ Don't keep your hand tied to your neck. Meaning, don't spend it. وَلَا تَصُطْهَا كُلَّ الْبَصْرِ and at the same time, don't open it completely like it's, everything is gone. You open it with both hands, everything is gone, now you're worried. You know, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once he was encouraging the Sahaba to give. And a man, he brought an egg-sized gold. A gold that was the size of an egg. Today you're giving everything that you have. Tomorrow you're going to ask people for money because you don't have any money. And on the other hand, we have the example of Abu Bakr Siddiq in the time of the boot. He brought everything that he had in his house. And when Rasulullah asked him, What did you leave for your family? He said, I left Allah and his messenger for my family. Meaning that he gave everything. So Don't be sitting, blaming yourself. Why did I do this? Empty-handed, nothing to show. So don't overcome easily. Don't spend everything. Don't overcome Spend in moderation. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in Surah Al-Qur'an, He talks about Ibad al-Rahman. I'm sure you have heard uh, this, uh, these verses. There are 12 characteristics of Ibad al-Rahman, the servants of Ar-Rahman, the servants of Allah, the special servants of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned 12 characteristics, and one of those characteristics is Again, they don't hold back, they don't spend a lot, but they spend in moderation. This is a sign of understanding. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in a hadith, he said, He said, understanding moderation is half of your livelihood. A lot of us, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money, so we have nothing to show for it. A lot of us make little money, and we still have the ability to save at least a little bit, but there's nothing to show for it. For both sides. But whatever we have, we have to understand how to spend. So spend according to your means. 
now we know the credit cards have made it so easy, right? They want you to just spend, 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 spend. That you want to see the bills and check The sisters, uh, trip to the mall. Mashallah, may Allah bless the sisters. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides a lot of our risk to them. Allah, they spend, we earn, Allah gives more, we spend more. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a hadith he mentions inna al-mubaddilina kana ikhwan shayatim Wastefulness is, is one of the things that Allah hates the most You need to eat Take on your plate where you're going to finish It happens a lot when we, you know, mashallah, we have iftar and you know, we have dinners at the masjid or anywhere People take a plateful because they don't want to wait in line again Subhanallah, you see the end of the event, you go see the, the, the garbage can. Subhanallah, if you were to look at the food, you can have, mashallah, 50 more people eat that food. There are 50 people who ate, 50 more people could have eaten. That's why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he said, don't eat by yourself in a plate. He said, share a plate. And this is the tradition even in the Arab nowadays. You know, they make the big plate. Put the food, put some meat on top, bismillah. Everybody sit together and eat. No wastage. And subhanAllah, nowadays we waste so much food all the time. Allah says they're the, the brothers of shaitan. There's a hadith, and near back to the Lord, Allah Ta'ala, and he says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, once he passed by Sa'adah, the Allah Ta'ala, while he was making food, so Rasulullah said to him, now look at this hadith. He said, Ya Sa'ad, ma hadihi sarf? Um, oh Sa'ad, what is this wastage? What is this extravagance? So Sa'ad was surprised. He said, Ya Rasulullah, afil wudu'i israf? Is there such thing as wastage when it comes to wudu? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Naam, wa in kunta ala nahin jarin. Yes, even if you are to wudu on the side of a running river. Even if you're on the side of the river, there's unlimited water, you're still wasted even in that situation. And subhanAllah, when we make wudu, a tap is on from the moment we start washing our hands. And mashallah, we forget something, we go and do something, come back and the water is running because it's too much work to get it to the right temperature, right? We take a sip and the bottle goes in the garbage. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just anyway, just my time is up. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned in the hadith, La ayyakhul al-jannata man kaan fi qalbi min fadda Rasulullah said, a person who has an iota of, uh, of being big, of pride, of arrogance, he will not enter Jannah. Even an iota of kibri, of arrogance, of pride. So a man has stood up and said, Ya Rasulullah, inna rajula yuhibu an yakuna thawbuhu hasanan wa na'abuhu hasanan. Ya Rasulullah, what if a person likes to dress nice? A person likes to have nice shoes? MashaAllah, youngster. I remember when we, you know, even now when you spend 20, 30, 40 dollars on shoes, now youngster, MashaAllah, $200. Did you see my new kicks? Right, is that the right term on you? I don't know. MashaAllah, we have our students here. 
So I thought today we'll change it up a little bit and uh, we'll have inshallah in another riwayah which is narrated by Imam Khalaf and Sulaim. So this is another way of reciting the Quran. So inshallah this is, generally you're not allowed to do it because you have to learn the entire way of doing it before you can recite it. But this was an exception that we reached out not to his teacher but his teacher's teacher. So this was an exception he gave and he only gave him ijazah for Surah Al-A'la. So those of you who understand the, the way the riwayat work and the way the Qur'an works and the way our silsila works, that you have to have ijazah from your teacher and him from his teacher all the way to Rasulullah for everything that you recite. So for Hassan and Asim, we have the ijazah from our teachers and the, the, from their teacher. But this, from, for Khalaf and, uh, uh, and Sulaim, this is an exception just for Surah Al-A'la that was given to Hafiz Saad just for the recitation of this to encourage uh, our youngsters to inshallah learn this. So Hafiz Saad will recite inshallah Surah Al-A'la in Khalaf and Sulaim.
and tomorrow is his last day of vacation. He has class Monday morning. He's off for two weeks, and just for this program, he stayed behind. Uh, normally, you know, when you're coming from vacation, you want to come a couple of days, get back into uh, routine rest up before you actually go, uh, go back to your regular full day schedule. But mashallah, just for this program, and I have never seen him when I said that Heron needs something where he has hesitated. Without any hesitation, mashallah, he's always ready to step up. We make dua that Allah accepts him. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him and his family for their sacrifices. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to benefit from him. Ameen. Muti'ala. is 
beneficial and what is not. If we look at all of the laws, all the governments across the world are only in place for this purpose. They tell us what is good, what is not good. Yesterday, mask was not mandated, and today it is, and tomorrow it won't be, and on and on and on. But who really tells us what is beneficial and what is harmful? This is where we differ from the rest of the world. Islam has universal values, it has long-term and short-term plans, and it has longevity to survive human race. That is the reality. So when we look at Islam as a whole, it has universal value. A person could be in completely in the East or the West or the North or the South. It seems like a very small statement, but the reality is every single one of those individuals, regardless of their race, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their language, regardless of where they're living and their culture, they would be able to practice and exercise the values of Islam without any hesitation without any, uh, any issues at all. This is the difference when you have an authority telling you to do something or not to do something based on either research and experience, trial and error, knowledge, that's it. Or you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending down revelation to tell us Tell us how to live our life. This is the difference between religion and non-religion. And this is how Rasulullah is able to tell us definitively and through authority that this will destroy you and this will save you. And that is the first part. And the second thing is, amazingly, Rasulullah he mentions that I was sent to you I was sent to you, I was sent to you as a teacher, as a father figure, so I can teach you. So this one, if we there is actually books and books written, it's almost like a master's program to understand the teaching methodology of Rasulullah. The way he conducted his teaching style is something that exhausted researchers because when we look at the way he dealt with all the different types of people in his time, it's amazing. The way he dealt with children, the way he dealt with women, the way he, the way he dealt with leaders, and the way he, uh, the, the way he dealt with Bedouin people, educated, non-educated, all types of people, the way Rasulullah dealt with each and every single one of them is something that is to be studied and to be adopted by every single educator across the world. And the third thing is when we study this hadith, when we look at it in a holistic way, we realize that Rasulullah is summarizing. And this summary of Rasulullah is classified as a miracle of Rasulullah which the ulama, there's actually a hadith of Rasulullah he says that I have been given multiple things. One of the things is is the terminology of the scholars that he's able to take big, big uh, uh, instructions and be able to summarize it in few words. As we look at it, for the last hour and a half, we would, or throughout this entire program, for an hour and a half, we will be 
statements of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Three of which the first lecture was about, and only three that are going to be in the next lecture, hour and a half, and believe me, we could be sitting here for a day and a half discussing the same six elements. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his words. As Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, everything he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took it as a guarantee and mentioned it in the Quran, in Wama Yantiku Anil Hawa, he does not speak by his own willingness, his own desire, in huwa illa wa Every single word that he uttered is a miracle, is actually a revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in huwa illa It's actually wahi, it's revelation, it's divine. Every single statement that Rasulullah sallallahu made from receiving prophethood till the day he passed away, every single statement is revelation. If he said it, it's part of our deen, they'll never be able to change through all time. Now when we look at the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu he talked about muhrikat. As Imam Azari rahimahullah, in uh, many of his books, he talks about the inner world that we possess. Because many times, whatever we see on the outside, psychologists will tell you that this action is based on something from inside. If we look at a crime, many times when the detectives show up, they immediately could tell you the intent of the crime, the purpose behind it. Why? Because looking at the action, they could tell that this action could only be done by this motivation. Otherwise, we'll not be able to commit this type of crime without this motivation. And they have this very strong psychological aspect to our actions. And that is why there is a whole world within us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we look at it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned qalb in the Quran, qulub in the Quran, multiple places, almost two dozen times. In the Quran, talks about qalb. What does a book of guidance talk about heart? those blue, attach those hearts, either it's something positive or it's something negative. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about the hypocrites, he says, that in their heart, there is a sickness. So it wasn't just their action, it wasn't what they were doing, but rather it was connected from inside. So the reality is, when Rasulullah sallallahu is mentioning muhlikat, those things that will destroy you, we will study that each and every single one of them is about inside. It's actually from inside each and every single one of them. So we are not held in, in any type of trouble from our actions, merely our actions, but rather it's our inner self that tells us what it tells us and what it leads to is the actions. So it all starts from a lot of times we, we talk about why aren't we able to concentrate in salah? Why are we not able to uh, leave this sin? Why are, why are we so attracted to certain things in this, in this dunya? The reason is not because of what we are deciding, but rather what we carry inside of us. A beautiful example, one of the scholars, he said, he said, when you go to the garbage can and you open the garbage can and you look inside and you say, oh, it smells foul. Or when you pass by a dumpster and you say, it smells bad. Well, the reality is what we possess inside of us is, is exactly what we see on the outside. You know, the Arabs, they say, That the, every container only drips what's inside of it. 
So whatever we see on the outside of ourselves, our action is based on the inside. And the first thing that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he talked about the muhlikat, he says, فَشَحٌ مُطَاعٌ Greed. Subhanallah. Shah is not just greed, but it's a combination of greed and miserliness. And when we think about it, many times we would think that if a person commits some type of a major sin or something that would really take a person out of the folds of Islam, we would think miserliness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the, in the Quran, many times he mentions about bukhul, about being miserly and all of that, Allah, even to the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one verse mentions, That do not think those people who actually hold back the wealth that Allah has given them. And they, they, they do not spend it in the place, in the rights that they are supposed to get, be spending it in. Do not think that, That is good for them, rather is bad for them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the reason why he mentioned that is because it is given from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we give our children some type of money and then we ask them that, okay, you know, out of the I gave you, I want you to give one dollar to your sister. And now the son says, no, 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 this is my money. What would be our reaction? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us everything. And yet, we're not able to spend. And this is the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, every time He mentioned bukhal or giving, He mentions that, Spend from the things that, you, that Allah gave you. You did not earn it on your own, but rather Allah gave you. So, so now you have double the reason to spend. It's not even our money. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That Allah is the true inheritor. Because the reality is, we become the means. It comes to us, we live with this money, and when we go in our grave, if somebody tells us, you know, just, just put a hundred dollar bill inside his grave. They say, no, 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 why would we put it in there? Nobody would even give us one dollar in our grave. That's the reality. We just become the means. It comes to us, we use it in our life, and when we pass away, it belongs to someone else. And when we look at shuh, shuh is actually a degree higher than Bukhal. And subhanAllah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is targeting the muhlikat, the things that will destroy us. Many times we don't think our financial status or our financial decisions have any, anything to do with our religion. But it, it does have great implications about how we serve our personal life, our professional life, and our spiritual life is because if this disease exists inside of us, it will lead to decisions that will destroy us. So when we look at shuh, amazingly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, وَأُحْذِرَةِ الْأَنْفَسُ الشُّحْ That every single person would have shuh inside of them. So this greed is inside of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this in the Quran. Each and every single one of us have this shuh inside of us. Now, the question is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed this inside of us, but yet, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is mentioning, this same shuh could lead to something that will destroy us. And the reality is, every single emotion, every single characteristic, every single personality, 
we might look at it as something negative, but the reality is every single one of those characteristics, every single one of those emotions is positive. That's the reality. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put these things inside of us because it has a positive impact on our decisions. What is the one emotion that we feel that destroys everything in the world? Anger, right? Any person will tell you, you know, I divorced my family, I crashed my car, or I hurt someone, someone shot someone. All of that, every single crime, it has some, some type of anger attached to it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, There's actually something being angry for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These emotions are not bad. These emotions are good. How we utilize them is bad. I say guns kill people. No, people kill people. The reality is the gun is just a tool. These emotions are a tool. How do we utilize those emotions is how we make it to in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never did a person come and he said and, and he saw something inside of him and said, I need you to change this. No, I just need you to change how you utilize this emotion. Umar radiallahu anhu, what was when he said out when he embraced Islam, when he went to his sister's house, very famous story, what was it he was headed out for? He was upset. He was angered. It was a lot of bad emotions combined. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he just removed that and he just redirected it into the, the folds of Islam. And now he used all of those personalities, those characteristics that he possessed, he used each and every single one of those emotions for the sake of Islam. And that is what we need. This is the reason why Shaitan took a different route. When he saw Umar coming down the street, he said, not this street, I'm going to go next door. Why? Because of those exact same emotions, he mastered them. And he used them for the sake of Islam. Similarly, when we look at Shuh, one of the one of the scholars, he beautifully put it, he said, Al-Bukhl huwa nafs al-mana' Wa-shuh al-halatu al-nafsiyyatu al-lati taqtadhi dhalik al-mana' Bukhl, being miserly, is something that a person does as an action. But shuh is the inside characteristic, what is causing him to not spend and hold back to that money. So the purpose behind it, the motivation behind it is shuh and bukhl is the action. And another, in another uh, scholar he mentions, Al-bukhl huwa al-man'a min mali nafsihi wa shuh huwa al-bukhl rajul min mali ghayri. That bukhl is something that a person himself, when he doesn't want to spend from his own money. And shuh is something that he feels affected even with somebody else's money. You know, if, you, if we hear that somebody spent this much money, you would, you would start, it'll start affecting that much money. It's not even our money. But that shows that there is something inside of us which is affecting us and it will affect us negatively in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the matters of our deen. And Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah, he mentioned a very beautiful way. He summarized it. He said that shuh is actually bukhul. Shuh, this greed, is actually being miserly ma'al hifz with the uh, with, with the intention to gather more, 
with the greed. So it's actually, you're not spending and you have the intention to gather more. So whatever you have, we're not ready to spend that and we are still wanting to do, having to have more. So this is shuh. Uh, but to summarize everything, the reality is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, she came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asking about how much to spend, how much not to spend. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he told her, La tu'ayfa yu'ayy alayk. If you start counting and then spending, you, when you are been given, it's going to be counted and given to you. Just spend and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide. This is shuh. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he didn't mention just shuh. He mentioned fashuhun muta'un. That greed and miserliness that you're actually letting it get to us when we're not spending in the, in the places where we're supposed to spend. And this is, just to summarize it, that there are three levels of this. That a person, when he is not spending where he's supposed to spend, like meaning a right of someone, that is haram. You're not allowed to do that. You have to spend that. And then the second one is, is when there is a need that we have the option whether to spend it or not spend it. But this is when it comes into place that if it's a good purpose, we spend it. If it's not a good purpose, we don't, uh, but we don't spend it. And the last one is if we spend it in something haram, that is not allowed. So not spending in the place where we're supposed to spend it, it's also haram. And to spend it in a place that is not accepted in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is also haram. Then there's only the middle area, which is when we see some benefit, we do not hesitate to spend. And that is where we actually train ourselves. And this is the next uh, point that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned. The second uh, uh, thing that will destroy us, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, wahawa muttaba. That those desires that we follow that do not align with the teachings of Islam. Hawa. Hawa is evil desires, wrong desires. The reality about desires is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, Very simple. If a person is fearful standing and facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and he stops himself from following wrong desires, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guarantees that the, the Jannah, paradise, would be his final abode. That's very easy, simple recipe. But the reality is to understand two things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in here, an-nafs and hawa. An-nafs is our inner self, our nafs. And the second one is hawa. What is this evil or wrong desire? The reality is, our life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the, in the Quran, This is the fitra, the natural state of a human being. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentions in the hadith, Every child is born on fitra. It's a clean canvas. When we are born, we are a clean canvas. When our children are born, you see them. When they're one year, two years, three years old, we don't know ex anything about them. How do they adopt? There, uh, many times we would see a huge difference between their siblings. And we see, oh, my son wasn't like this, or my, my first son wasn't like this, or my first daughter wasn't like this, or his sister or his brother is not. Because it's a clean canvas. 
and every single one of us grows differently. This same canvas is called fitra in Islam. The same canvas, blank canvas is called fitra. And the reality is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he talked about fitra in, uh, and nafs, they're both clean canvases. How we grow and how we train ourselves is exactly what we, how we live our life by. If a person throughout his life, he's used to drinking coffee, he would drink coffee. And that's what he feels attached to. And if it was some other source of caffeine, then that's what he would feel attached to. This is just in one way. But in the matters of deen, in every capacity, this is our clean canvas. How do we gear it? Many times when we, when we look at our youngsters, when you, t when you do any type of counseling, and when we feel, when we talk to them, the first question that they have, and first objection or a concern that they have, they said, our religion is too strict. They feel that the religion is actually their, uh, their restrictions. They feel that they are, in, uh, uh, they are in a jail cell. They feel that there are too many restrictions on them for the sake of religion. But the reality is, we, the approach is completely different. When we look at the mother of Maryam alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about their story in the Quran. إِذْ قَالَتِ مَرَأَةُ عِمَرَانَ رَبِّ إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لَكَ مَا فِي بَطْنِي مُحَرَّرًا When the mother or the wife of Imran, إِذْ قَالَتِ مَرَأَةُ عِمَرَانَ The wife of Imran, the mother of Maryam alayhi salam, رَبِّ إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لَكَ She claimed, Ya Allah, I made whatever's in my womb, إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لَكَ I made it that he or she will be نَذَرْتُ لَكَ I made an oath, muharrara. In the Arabic language, muharrar, hur means free. That he or she is free for, the, for your sake, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She did not say that she would be locked away in some room or in some masjid, and now I am encaging her and putting her away for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She says, she says I, I free her for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a discussion on its own, matter of perspective. When many times we hear, you know, when you're speaking at university, it's a very common, common question and objection coming from especially the uh, female sisters, uh, uh, female students uh, and the sister side about how they feel that religion has given them some type of, uh, some type of um, restriction, but rather religion has actually give, given them and all of us freedom. In a way to understand this, I don't want to elaborate too much on this point because it will take us away from what we're discussing here. But look at it this way. There is a person, he has some type of a ride that he sits on and they, we tell him, you, with this ride, you can go anywhere in the world, anywhere you want. Even if you want, you can go to space. You can go to the moon, you can go to other planets, you can go whatever you want. And subhanAllah, a person will think that I, I have been liberated from this space. That now I can go anywhere, I don't have any restriction of space. But at the same time, he can look at it and say, I'm not sitting on this thing. I can't even stretch my leg. 
I can't go and go, it doesn't even have a cup holder for my coffee. You understand? This is, this is a perspective. And inshallah, I'll let this uh, settle down a little bit throughout the night. You will be thinking about the same example. That's the reality. You know, it's just like many times, if you go to a mechanic and you tell a mechanic that, you know, I hear something from the right tire of my car. And he says, you know, brother, listen, trust me. Whenever you drive, just put the radio so loud that you don't hear that noise. And it will solve all your problems. And the reality is the perspective is completely different. We're looking at it because we are so uh, influenced and we have been educated to think in a very specific way. When you study some of the literature by, by even uh, 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 people who are not Muslim, but they, when they have a different perspective, a lot of things just change. And you look at it that, wait, that's, that's something uh, I never thought of it this way. That's the reality. Anyways, I don't want to elaborate too much on this, but this is a reality. That we have forgotten what is freedom and what is restriction. And when Rasulullah talks about this hawa, right? These desires. And when he talks about nafs, those scholars, they say, That this nafs is like a child. You can train it however you want. And many times when we study the stories of our pious predecessors, when we study the stories of Sahaba Rasulullah and other anbiya, we feel like, how is that possible? The reality is, when we train a child in a specific way, it would work that way. And when we don't, we have never ever trained this child to be what we want it to be, he will never ever do that. That's the reality. So, it's a blank canvas. And the reality is that as we train our, our nafs slowly, it would start adopting things and we would realize that not only that it becomes easy, it actually becomes second nature. It's just a matter of training. And that is why Rasulullah he did not give us a set of instructions. He gave us a lifestyle. And when we try to break away from that lifestyle, that's when we realize that when we are trying to train ourselves with something that is not natural for us, it will just make everything so difficult. If you ask any professional and you ask him or her that I want to do this, in being professional in that field, they will tell you that this is a way to do this. If you, tell, if you go to a mechanic to fix your car and you tell him, brother, I want you to do it right in a masjid parking lot. He'll say, no way, I will not do it. You go to an eye surgeon, you say, listen, you know, let's, let's go to the side of the masjid and let's do this. It will not work. Similarly, when it comes to matters of our deen, we are always trying to take shortcuts. We have a lifestyle. We have a way that Rasulullah told us, this is how we need to live our life. From the, from the moment we open our eyes till the, till the nighttime when we close our eyes. From the day we're born, from, till the day we pass away, there is a lifestyle, there is a way, there's a trend that we need to follow, everything falls into place and we will see miracles happening. And if we don't, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. The reality is this desire that Rasulullah is talking about, it will take over our life. And believe me, there are people who are committing a sin for 30, 40, 50 years. They, they committed that sin when they were a teenager. They committed that sin when they were married, when they had their first child and second child, and their first grandchild and second grandchild, on and on and on. And now they're celebrating their 70th birthday. And yet till today, they cannot let go of that.
because we have never worried about it. You know, one of the scholars, he put, it, he put it very beautifully. He said that when we see our beautiful grass and we see some unwanted weed in that grass, we can ignore it or we can pluck it out. Right now, we are younger and this weed is weaker, so we can pluck it out. And later on, the weed would be stronger and we would be weaker and we will not be able to pull up. And now that is embedded inside of us and we can try this. This is when, you know, that, how the famous quote goes, watch your thoughts before they become words, watch your words before they become actions, and watch your actions before they become habits, and watch your habits before they become your destiny. The reality is it can go on and on and on. And we, we, we might end up in our grave with that. And beautifully, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, we mentioned this verse yesterday in the khutbah as well. Have you seen that person who has made his desires, his Rabb, his God? It's actually when that inner calling comes to go and commit that sin, it's like a divine calling from inside of us. We cannot ignore it. We cannot ignore it. And it becomes very, very difficult and it becomes lethal. And it might become our destiny. This is the time we need to change that. And the last thing that Rasulullah mentioned, and beautifully, uh, it, it just almost like it rhymes. Rasulullah mentioned the third thing, I'jabul mar'i bi nafsihi. Self-admiration. A person is just filled in his ego. Simple. As Rasulullah the scholars, they uh, uh, um, uh, describe this as ujub. It's one of the diseases of the heart that will destroy a person. In one of the narrations, Rasulullah mentioned that this is the worst of them all. Imagine this. Out of this entire deen of ours, from alcohol to adultery to uh, uh, murder and all of these insane sins that we cannot even think about, Rasulullah decided to summarize all of this into three. And he says, out of those three, this one is the worst. Why do you think that this is the worst? Rasulullah is mentioning, out of the three that he mentioned, this is the worst. The same reason. The reason is that Rasulullah is telling us that the minute we become content with ourselves, that's when, we, when, that's when the, the fall starts. The minute we feel comfortable. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions many places in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about a, a life of a believer. He lives his life between fear and hope. And that is the balance that we need. Between fear and hope. The minute fear overcomes hope, we will lose. And the minute hope, become, hope becomes dominant over fear, we will lose. And that is what happens. That when a person feels content with this condition, immediately we will start falling down because now the hope has overcome our fear and we're not fearful anymore. And the minute we're not fearful, we're not afraid, then that's when the decline of an individual starts. A person, he's at his workplace, there is somebody watching over him, his manager, his boss, or whoever, even the customer. Even if you run your own business, there is someone watching over us. 
The minute a person feels that he is in his own bubble and nobody is watching over him, his progress will stop and his decline will start. And this is why Rasulullah specifically mentioned. And what's amazing is Rasulullah in the previous hadith we talked about kibr. Right? In the previous session, we talked about kibr, that pride. Rasulullah he mentioned, that a person who even has a small iota of kibr, of pride, will not enter Jannah. But Rasulullah in this muhlik, the thing that will destroy you, he's not mentioning pride, he's mentioning ego, he's mentioning self admiration. The reality is, this is worse than kibar. The reason is because it will take you to a place much worse than kibar will. Because the reality of kibar uh, is that you have to be in a social world to have kibar. Right? If you're not interacting with others, you will never think of yourself as superior to others. That's the reality. So you need to be in a social uh, a lifestyle to kind of gauge yourself that I am better than him, better than her, or she, she's this way, or he's this way. That is in so When a person is by his, in his own bubble, he is admiring himself so much that he is already in a place much greater than everybody else. So it's not even the kibber anymore that somebody would be able to tell him that, no, this person is better than you. Because he's not even given that chance. And as we think about this more, it will settle in more. But the reality is, these are the miracles of Rasulullah He's pointing out that this is, this is what's going to destroy us. And this is, you know, Rasul Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, and this is something, inshallah, I'll try to end with this, that many times in our life, trying to keep things relevant, many times in our life, we are doing something in our life, which we think is something good. And we say that this is going to be our contribution to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran. Say to the people, should I not tell you those people who are the worst when it comes to their action? This, this, this Quran uh, ayah is actually in Surah Al-Kahf. And being in Surah Al-Kahf automatically puts you uh, puts this verse in a, in a classification of Ayyam al-Fitr. That when things are going to get really, really bad and really hard, these are the verses that you have to study. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this verse in Surah Al-Kahf. Should I not tell you the worst of people when it comes to their action? That those people who have exhausted their efforts in this dunya, fil hayat dunya, in this world, in, their, in this worldly life of theirs, and they think that they are doing something good. Yahsabuna, it's in their mind that yahsabuna, they are doing something good. This is their mind. And then what happens? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَحْسِنُونَ سُنْعَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَّ سَعْيُهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَهُمْ يَحْسِبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ يَحْسِنُونَ سُنْعَى أُولَٰئِكَ جَزَاؤُهُمْ And these are the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them something in the hereafter 
as a punishment because of what they did in this world. What's the connection? The connection is that many times we live in a bubble. We don't have anybody else to even tell us what you're doing makes no sense. What you're doing is not right. What you're doing is actually more harmful than good. And we are living this life thinking that it's actually good, but only when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we'll find out that no, everything is wasted. And we would realize, subhanAllah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa a simple example, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa throughout his life, never ever missed a single salah. Not only that he did not miss it, he never ever, never happened that he was not present to lead the salah. All the way till his end days. Literally, you don't find many examples. Maybe one time where he, he came late, Abdurrahman ibn Awf was leading the salah and he joined behind him. Once he came late and Abu Bakr Imagine, when did salah become fardu? And how many years? And it's not that he wasn't busy, but this is the reality. Many of us will stay up till 12, uh, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the, uh, at night discussing the state of the believers across the world. But the reality is we're not even awake for Fajr. This uh, person who runs a committee of brainstorming and figuring out solutions for the entire ummah, all their problems, all the way till 1 a.m. and 2, 2 a.m. and doing conferences after conferences, he will not be able to come for Fajr Salah. Where is the basics? Did Rasulullah have any less concern? These are the muhlikat. When Rasulullah is summarizing something into these small, small segments, we have to realize that these are the things that if we do not follow that, we would realize that our life is taking a turn that we don't even realize is taking that turn. And this is a discussion to go on forever. But one thing that I would leave each and every single one of us is that everything that we have studied tonight, every single thing that we have studied tonight, the only way we can actually start to see a change in our life is to choose one person. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions in, in the Quran, قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَعِذُكُمْ بِوَاحِدًا Say to the people, Ya Rasulullah, say to the people, A'idhukum biwahida. I'll give you one advice. SubhanAllah, the whole Quran is filled with advice. The whole life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is filled with advices. But he says, A'idhukum biwahida. I'll give you one advice. An taqoomu lillahi mathna wa furada thumma tatafakkaru. That choose one person as your partner. The most loyal and the most caring and loving person to you, choose him as your partner or sit by yourself and think. Where are we heading? Think. Where are we taking ourselves? Where are we taking our spouses? Where are we taking our children? Where are we taking our households, our professions, our life? And where are we heading? Subhanallah. If you look at the last couple of years that has taught us is that life is very short and life is unpredictable. And we must Start with thinking for ourselves and choosing one person to start this change in our life and we'll see miracles happen that a person makes someone comfortable enough to look you in the eye and say, my, my dear brother or my dear sister, you're doing something wrong. This is not good. This is not right. You need to figure out a solution. And that's where it starts. We have lived in a world where we think that no one having authority over us to tell us whether we're doing something right or wrong 
is the solution uh, to freedom. We have misunderstood freedom. Even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to tell him that when his face changed, abasa wa tawalla, when a person came and his face changed, the person was blind and he couldn't see the face change of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an ayah in the Quran mentioning that his face changed because he disliked that person. Even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, regardless, even our greatest person like Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and Ashra Mubashara, those who are guaranteed, you, are, you have a ticket to Jannah. But yet, they always had someone above them could tell them that what you're doing is not right. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu, we could sit here all night about this. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu, one complaint against that, oh Sa'ad radiallahu anhu did something wrong, Umar radiallahu anhu said, you are no longer the governor, call him to Medina. Sa'ad radiallahu anhu, one of the greatest people, and Ashara Mubashara, Rasulullah guaranteed him Jannah. He could just say, I don't know, I don't follow Umar, I'm a man of my own. This is not freedom. This is shaitan tricking us that in the name of freedom, we are doing something that we don't even realize. We're heading to a place that nobody can tell us what we're doing something right or wrong. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect our children, our families. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to understand and uh, really adapt to what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right and continue to enhance our lives. Ameen wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. If anybody has any questions... Jazakumullah uh, to Mufti Atif and all of you for being here. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept uh, our gathering. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it a source of blessing for all of us. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.